crowd of the news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. This is probably not the most sensitive way to put it, but still, man, I miss the days when conspiracy theories were fun. You know what I mean? Who really killed JFK? How could they possibly have faked the moon landing? Wouldn't it be hilarious if the Earth really was flat? And uh, listen, the NBA definitely rigged the 1985 draft, and if you don't believe me, you can look that one up. Conspiracy theories are not fun anymore. That's putting it extremely mildly. Instead, they are open incitements to hatred and violence against immigrants, against people of color, gay and trans people, Jewish and Muslim people, and of course, almost anyone in the media or in government. Right now, Conspiracy theories and those who believe in them are incredibly dangerous, and they keep proliferating. In 2023, experts who monitor how these things spread noticed a significant evolution in where and how widely these theories were circulated. In 2024, with an American election headlining a year with dozens of key elections across the globe, those experts are sounding the alarm. So, what do you need to know about conspiracy theories in 2024? And more importantly, what do you need to know is false? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Amarnath Amarasingham is an assistant professor in the School of Religion, cross-appointed to the Department of Political Studies at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada. His research interests are in terrorism, radicalization and extremism, conspiracy theories, and online communities. Hello, Amarnath. Hello, thanks for having me. You're welcome. If you had to sum up the last year of studying conspiracy theories in a word or two, how would you put it? Um, mainstream. Like, I think most of us who study this stuff are used to thinking about them as fringe ideas and fringe topics, um, which a few people may, you know, entertain. But uh, I think what we've seen... In the last year, but also since uh, the Trump campaign in particular, and then the COVID pandemic was a kind of mainstreaming of some of these bad ideas and, and, and watching them as they became popular, going from, you know, the dark corners of the Internet to talked about on kind of mainstream media outlets. You mentioned a couple of them there, but if you had to, could you pinpoint a moment in time when that shift kind of began, when you could see it move from those fringes of the Internet into mainstream discussion? Yeah, it's a, t- it's a tough question. I mean, if, if we were to talk broadly about, you know, trust in government and its gradual decline over the years, the real dive, I think, started with the Iraq war in 2003, and it hasn't really recovered since then. Mm. By the time Obama came to office, you also had a very polarized media landscape, which made everything kind of tribal, you know, us versus them, good versus evil, 
remember Obama's birth certificate and he's a secret Muslim and he was born in Kenya. And, right. and it, it kind of, um, you know, hasn't really recovered since then. The difference with Trump, I think, um, was that you had for the first time in my memory, at least a kind of sitting president daily engaging in a campaign uh, to erode trust in the government that he was con- <laughs> that he was controlling. Um, so you can't, you know, you can't trust the FBI, you can't trust the judges, you can't trust the media. And and so um, his campaign, I think, starting in 2015 was a major game changer and I think set the stage in many ways for the second major game changer, which was the pandemic. When we talk about the specific theories uh, that are spreading, and we're going to do that today, sort of looking at 2023, but also what to expect. I'm in an American election year, so I'm sure it'll be great uh, in 2024. But is there a difference between the sort of classic conspiracy theories? I'm not sure how to define this, but, you know, the moon landing was faked or the JFK assassination or whatever, and the modern conspiracy theories uh, that are going mainstream. And if there is a difference, what is it? Yeah, I mean, it might be useful to think about conspiracy theories and define them um, first. I, I think there's a bit of a confusion sometimes I see uh, in the public between things like conspiracy theories and and basic misinformation, right? Mm-hmm. And I think part of what most scholars define conspiracy theories as is a kind of belief in a sinister group of conspirators who are orchestrating all that happens for their own benefit. And you really need all three of those components for there to be a conspiracy theory um, and so the way to think about that is, you know, if I believe that the COVID vaccine causes infertility, um, that might just be misinformation. That right. might just be something I read on the wrong website. But if I believe that the COVID vaccine was manufactured to cause infertility by uh, a sinister group of elites, a shadowy group of some kind to keep the population down or to erode the white population, then you're in the realm of a kind of conspiracy theory, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the main difference I would say over time uh, that we've seen is is the move from, as you say, this kind of event-related conspiracy theories, 9-11 truthers to Epstein did not kill himself to JFK assassination to these more broader systemic um, conspiracy theories, which uh, scholars like Michael Barkin call super conspiracies, right? This ability of some of these ideas to basically vacuum up conspiracy theories as they go along. And QAnon is a good example of this, is basically anything it encounters, any idea that it encounters from vaccines to stop the steal to whatever have you, it just kind of vacuums up um, and makes it a part of its own. Um, And so I I think that's the major shift that we're seeing um, in terms of, you know, your question about the nature of the current ones. I would say there isn't much of a difference in the sense of particulars, but there's they're just more mainstream now and they're more in our faces now. um, And they seem to be resonating a bit more with with people than I was, I'm used to. And so, you know, a good analogy is, you know, at the guy with the end is near sign, uh, you might see, you know, in downtown Toronto or something. If you walk by him today and you see two people listening to him, but then you walk by a month from now and you see 30 people listening to him, mm-hmm. uh, the question isn't what, what message changed because his message has always been the same. It's just for some reason that message is resonating with us more now. That, I think, is the problem here with conspiracy theories is for some reason, these ideas are resonating with people a bit more than they used to. And that that's quite worrisome because um, we know that conspiracy theories have a load of social consequences. You know, people tend to vote less. They tend to volunteer less. They tend to donate money less. They tend to vaccinate their kids less. And so it, it really enters people into a worldview of distrust mm. where everything starts to be suspicious and everything starts to be sinister. Um, you know, and it, and it makes sense, right? The world, you can't believe that the media lied to you about COVID and then trust them completely when it comes to politics. Or yeah. 
you can't believe that scientists lied to you about COVID, but then totally believe them when it comes to climate change. So that's kind of what's worrisome um, is that it's resonating with a lot more people or resonating more with people. Um, and that says something about uh, something that's in the water, <laughs> right. if you will, uh, in our culture, um, as opposed to, you know, the message itself, which has always been fairly consistent. This is something that's been evolving for, I mean, if you go back to the Trump campaign, almost a decade now, um, as strange as that sounds. But you also wrote in a recent piece that 2023 marked a, a, quote, significant evolution uh, for these types of conspiracy theories. What did you mean by that? You know, one of the well-known facts about conspiracy theories is they tend to rise during moments of crisis, right? They tend to come in and give people an explanation. They give you someone to blame. They Mm -hmm. give you someone to hate. They provide an explanation that reduces the sense of chaos. What uh, scholars like Timothy Malley have called agency panic, this idea that you're losing control over your reality. And conspiracy theories really come in to say, actually, we know who to blame. We know who's behind all this. And, and it's up to you to get out there and, and wake up a sleeping masses, right? A lot of the former QAnon supporters I've interviewed over time basically say that when they were in the thick of it, they felt like they were the vanguard, right? They were tasked with waking up the sleeping masses and that they had to kind of do something at all times to bring this secret knowledge that they've been gifted uh, to the public. And so that, I think, is how these things are evolving over over the last little while is they tend to resonate more, they tend to have an impact um, on more and more people. And I think as crisis moments go forward, whether it's another pandemic or a war or uh, climate change, I think um, we're going to be encountering this a, a lot more going forward. I wanted to ask you if maybe we could go through some of the more prominent conspiracy theories out there and, I mean, sure, debunk them. I think it can go without saying that that a lot of these need debunking, but also just kind of unpack them a little so people understand them because if they're in the mainstream now, they're going to encounter them in places that don't seem fringy. So... Maybe we could just start uh, with what you singled out as as the major one, and again, kind of a super conspiracy theory, the Great Replacement Theory. What is it? Where did it come from? Um, so the Great Replacement Theory basically says that white European populations are being deliberately replaced um, ethnically and culturally uh, through migration and the growth of minority groups, right? And And so... That might sound familiar as, oh, that sounds like, you know, neo-Nazi groups or something. But just sounds like regular racism. Yeah, exactly. So like while elements of that um, have always been part of these far right groups, it really got going with uh, this uh, this French writer, Renaud, Renaud Camus, 2011 book uh, called The Great Replacement. And he basically said that uh, elites, quote unquote, are plotting the replacement of white Europeans um, through mass migration. And. The, the reason we single it out is it's one of these rare conspiracies that has inspired uh, several lone actor attacks from Christchurch in New Zealand. The, the manifesto that he wrote was literally called The Great Replacement um, to the Buffalo shooting um, and even closer to home, you know, Nathaniel Waltman in London. Mm-hmm. All of these kind of concerns that something about their in-group, uh, whether it's Western uh, cultural uh, in-group or, or or the white or white race is being uh, is under attack and is being slowly replaced, right? So, what's dangerous about it, I think, is is the theory itself is a kind of call to action. You know, what are you doing to protect your people? You have, uh, you know, you could follow examples from other attackers that have done it well, and you need to follow in their example. Hmm. Uh, you need to stand up and do something before your people completely disappear. You know, this white genocide um, kind of argument. And if you read a lot of their attacker manifestos, um, they add a level of urgency and imminent threat uh, to their in-group 
in a way that you know the faked moon landing doesn't right and and i think right. that's what that that kind of moral that kind of moral urgency is what makes the great replacement in particular uh, kind of dangerous because it's proven to um, actually inspire a lot of attacks um, over the last little while this is a theory that has been around for some time in one form or another yeah why has it spread so far and wide uh, since the pandemic began yeah, I, I mean, I think there is a real sense of loss of control, um, very rapid demographic changes, very rapid cultural shifts um, that a lot of these white supremacists are feeling most acutely, right? So I've interviewed a, a whole host of former neo-Nazis and some current far-right members as well. And for them, the speed at which cultural change is happening, the speed at which demographic shifts are happening isn't just you know something that's happening through natural policy. It's, it's actually an orchestrated attempt to get rid of them. Mm. Um, and once you start to think that way, you know, whether it's the Democrats or the Liberal Party of Canada or Jews or CIA or whoever is orchestrating the slow replacement of your community and things that you hold dear, then there, it's a kind of call to action. Um, and, and so I think part of it is just natural flows of immigration and demographic shifts and cultural changes that that are happening um, in the background. But for these guys, and it's mostly guys, <laughs> right? for these guys, it is, a, um, it, is, it is a kind of orchestrated attempt to get rid of them, which I think is what's galvanizing a lot of the violence. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. We'd covered last year the uh, 15-minute cities conspiracy, uh, yeah. mostly because it seemed so uh, ridiculous to take something that is so clearly sort of an innocent urban planning term and, and uh, create something so sinister from it. But you categorized it as a restriction of freedom conspiracy. Can you explain that category and how uh, and why they've become so attractive? Yeah, I mean, it's perhaps an inelegant term that we use to kind of capture a bunch of these similar conspiracies, which uh, purport to show that the government is, you know, dead set on taking our freedoms, controlling our behavior, controlling and limiting our mobility, controlling our choices and so on. And so the pandemic really, really gave a boost to this kind of thinking with, you know, the anti-lockdown movements and the anti-vaccine movement and the anti-vaccine mandate movement. Um, and, and it really got a boost after the pandemic. Perhaps the funniest one is this 4 to 15 minute city one, which is a fairly boring urban planning concept and, you know, try to keep uh, protect our mental health and protect the environment by keeping a lot of the things that we can access within a 15 minute walk. And that has now been transformed into it is a plot to restrict personal freedom and movement. It is a plot to confine individuals to small areas and control their activities and the Agenda 30, uh, which is a kind of UN movement around um, sustainable development, has also gone through a similar conspiratorializing, which is basically to say that global elites are trying to reduce the world's population and control people's lives, etc. The reason I trace this back to the pandemic is because it, it, it was this moment when any initiative by governments, any well-meaning initiative by governments uh, was immediately reinterpreted as governmental overreach 
to impact our freedoms and to take away uh, our freedoms. Mm. The kind of distrust in government and government initiatives really began um, in its current form with the pandemic and lockdown initiatives, which is now touching basically anything that governments want to do that is about the communal well-being or community well-being as opposed to the individual. Mm. You know, we're used to seeing this in the U.S. Um, with, with the gun rights, uh, you know, they're coming to take our guns phenomenon, but yes. it, it, it's transforming into basically anything, any global initiative, any local initiative that, you know, is, is, is trying to impact individual freedoms um, at, at a fundamental level to say that we should be thinking about the community, people outside of ourselves, as opposed to just us. And that's automatically being reinterpreted as uh, sinister. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, that sounds just awful for the future of civilization in general, that any sort of collective goodwill push is now being interpreted as uh, a way to control people. Like, that's the first step down what seems to me at least a pretty dark road. Yeah, I mean, this is what I was saying earlier in terms of it, it's it's almost not about the ideas anymore. It's about how people approach the world around them, how people approach information, trust in government. And so conspiratorial thinking really puts you in a worldview that is that everything around you is suspicious. Everything around you is sinister. Everyone's out to get you. And so something as simple as a fairly boring urban planning policy uh, becomes a sinister plot by the global elite to keep you within, you know, confine your movements and confine your choices Hmm. that really impacts um, how you view the outside world um, and particularly, you know, those in power. The last specific one I want to ask you about from last year, and I guess moving into this year, is the groomer conspiracy. And is it even really a conspiracy? I don't see the actual narrative here. It just sounds like uh, homophobia and transphobia. Like, I don't see the the sinister secret plot. Do you know what I'm saying? No, you're right that some that some of the ways it manifests doesn't fit uh, the kind of earlier definition of conspiracy theory that I was talking about as requiring sinister actors and, and, and so on. But there are definitely versions of it that spill over into conspiracy, particularly when expressed by some white supremacist groups who often talk about the gay agenda or the trans agenda as eroding, you know, the purity of the white race, making sure white people have less children and and, and things like that. Um, and even outside the white supremacists, I mean, th- there's often talk of kind of elites and pedophilia, particularly linked to the QAnon movement um, and and. Uh, some of the rhetoric coming out of the protests that we've seen, anti-trans protests that we've seen even in Canada, which, you know, kind of spills over into some shadowy elites that are pushing this, you know, for to kind of erode culture in some way, erode our culture in some way. And so a lot of these movements go simply beyond, um, you know, generic homophobia or generic transphobia into arguing that the mere education uh, of some of these concepts and gender-affirming care is actually a broader sinister plot by elites in power to, you know, erode white culture, erode morality in in, in society as a whole uh, and things like that. So while that kind of rhetoric isn't mainstream at the moment, um, it is kind of very much part of some of these movements, um, which which we might see kind of grow uh, as as these movements evolve. As we start to see these theories uh, more and more in the mainstream and as people who would otherwise... Uh, never encounter them, start to hear them, and uh, maybe start to wonder, and maybe because of a particular place they're in uh, mentally, start to think that they make sense. How do we debunk uh, these theories when they're just sort of getting their hooks into people who would otherwise have never been exposed to this stuff? 
debunking doesn't necessarily work unless they some of these individuals have already one foot out the door, right? Mm-hmm. I, I used to argue a lot with conspiracy theorists back during 9-11 truther days, um, and I kind of describe it as punching a waterfall, right? Huh. It, they're just immersed in this content. They're immersed in every tiny detail, um, and you're not. <laughs> they know at what temperature steel burns and you don't, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just going to be a kind of complete waste of time to go uh, tit for tat with people who are deeply immersed in conspiracy theories because they, this is their whole life and and you're not prepared to argue with them. And it often has the a kind of backfiring effect. But what I will say is some of the former QAnon folks I've interviewed um, who have kind of slowly found their way out of these movements often say that it, it's important that we have resources ready uh, for them when they leave um, sometimes it's just as simple as having family members who, you know, instead of dunking on them and calling them stupid uh, for, you know, daring to fall for something so dumb, uh, just kind of embrace them back into the fold and 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 help them be part of the family again. Interpersonal relationships also work. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of stories about anti-COVID vaccine people who, you know, just after talking to their pediatrician who they've known for years um, have changed their minds, right? So yeah. the, that kind of um, interpersonal one-on-one conversation with trusted people uh, tends to have an impact uh, as opposed to making it all political. And I think, you know, turning down the temperature on our, of our politics is, is also quite key in terms of the broader importance of this, because, you know, not everything has to be cosmic, not everything has to be tribal, not everything has to be us versus them, which I think is important. But in, in, in terms of, you know, early on, um, it's very difficult. I mean, I think there's some there's some work that says uh, pre-bunking has some effectiveness, which basically says that you tell people that we you know what kinds of information they're going to be introduced to. Right. So when they are eventually introduced to it, they they kind of have a uh, guardrails up uh, to to kind of process that information. If if they're receiving this information completely out of the blue and it seems like something is being hidden from them, or you know someone's trying to pull the wool over their eyes, all mm-hmm. of a sudden these ideas become attractive. And so I think getting getting people more uh, aware of some of this some of these things is is has shown to be somewhat effective but yeah it, it, it's very difficult once they go down uh, the rabbit hole uh, you know fully well maybe before you go then and this has been fascinating I will uh, ask you for a little bit of pre-bunking are there any theories out there now or variations on theories that you are seeing in uh, the fringes that you mentioned earlier that uh, as we move into an election year and this stuff proliferates further, that might uh, be more mainstream that people might encounter. Yeah, I mean, it's not so fringe, but we have, you know, 40 elections around the world this year. Oh, boy. <laughs> and right wing populists um, are kind of gaining steam in quite a few of them or some of them. And so I think uh, this broader populist rhetoric is also closely linked to conspiratorial thinking, right? Populism basically says that there's us, the common people, the pure people, the true Canadians, the true Americans, and then we are constantly at war with these quote-unquote elites, um, which can be the media, academics, researchers, scientists, government, etc. And so it really creates this kind of us-versus-them rhetoric, which has proven to be quite popular during the Trump campaign, during the Vivek Ramaswamy campaign, during the Modi campaign in India, and so what these elites are up to tends to, you know, often manifest in anti-immigrant rhetoric, uh, talk about borders, talk about closing our borders, um, and of course, kind of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. The, the elites often get coded as, you know, Jews, you know, if you look at, think about the protocols of elders of Zion or hmm. the Illuminati and so on. Um, and I think that populist sentiment, which is proving to be a kind of part of a lot of these elections that, were, that are upcoming this year, 
is what is worrying me. It's not so fringe, fringe, but it, it, it it's definitely going to be a thing that keeps us up at night, I think, this year. Um, and I think the Trump campaign itself and the Modi campaign in India, just the campaigning itself is going to be harmful, even if they actually don't win. Um, just the way they carry it out and the and the kinds of rhetoric that they allow to become mainstream um, is, is, is in itself going to be harmful, I think. Uh, sounds like a prescription for... Not a great year politically and uh, and otherwise. Um, Amarna, thank you so much for this and thanks for all the work you do in this space. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Amarnath Amarasingham, assistant professor at Queen's University, specializing in, among many other things, the spread of conspiracy theories. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. If you have feedback for us on this podcast or any other episode we've done, we would be delighted to hear it. You can send it to hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca or you can speak it on a voicemail by calling 416-935-5935. In every podcast app, you will find The Big Story. In some podcast apps, you will have a chance to like and rate and review The Big Story. If you haven't done that yet, that is one of the key ways new people find this show and we would be most appreciative if you'd spare a minute to do that for us. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Don't believe everything you hear. We'll talk tomorrow. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency.